Welcome back to Official and Official. I'm your host, the former face of junior college baseball, the fall American, Johnny Junta. We're here with a very special guest. He is former LSU Tiger and right-handed pitcher for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He made his debut in 2020, and he's low-key a man rocket. Good-looking dude. It's my pleasure to welcome Riley Wade to the Official and Official podcast. How's it going, brother? What's up, Johnny? I appreciate you having me, man. You know, I was an old junior college guy, too. I went to Sandak before I went to LSU. Humble brag there, one of the best JUCOs of all time. I mean, wh- when you're going to San Jack, because San Jack is – I couldn't even imagine in my wildest dreams going there. Do you just know that you're a certified dog when you attend San Jack? Oh, Lord. You know, <laughs> I try not to be arrogant or cocky or anything, but um, I mean, I knew that we were good and I knew that that going there was going to put me in a position to, to be in front of guys that would, you know, further my career. Yeah, but I mean, that team, uh, and uh, there was a guy actually there that got drafted in the first round a couple of years ago, just throwing 99 casually in Juco. I mean, you want to talk about the most unfair team of all time. And then from San Jack, you go to another dog of a baseball school, LSU. So how many schools were in the mix? Was the University of Texas in the mix there? Are you a Texas guy? Um, you know, I was a Texas guy. That that was kind of my probably number two school in Texas that I wanted to attend, but they didn't have any interest. Um, honestly, that. They were either full on scholarships. I can't remember. I, I reached out to a couple of people and, and they said that they were full and they weren't, you know, interested in picking up a junior college guy at that time. And, uh, you know, that was whatever. I, I really wanted to go there and I really liked the school. Um, but, uh, you know, you shift your gears to other schools and uh, LSU was, um, you know, a blessing. I really enjoyed my time there. I mean, I'll take LSU. And one guy, a legend of this show, he actually had a called shot on this show. He had a called home run. My friend, Jake Fraley, an absolute legend, Jake Fraley. So, I mean, give me a perspective on what it was like even going to LSU and seeing Jake Fraley in the mix. I mean, this guy mashed there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, Jake's a a good dude. And uh, he was one of my favorites on the team. And uh, just a a good person to, you know, wear number eight, continue on a legacy and stuff. And, uh, I had a really good time with him and, and, you know, he obviously rakes and then getting to play against him in the show is cool too. And uh, just seeing his career kind of take off has been fun. Were you at that party that he told the story about? I don't, you might've not been there, but I don't know if you've heard stories about it. Uh, Alex Bregman, when he threw a party and the cops showed up in helicopters, did you hear that story? Uh, I, I've heard about it. Um, I was not there. I did not <laughs> attend. You'd be there though. Be honest. Would you be there? You'd be front and center. Um, I mean, I, I, if it's something the team was putting on for sure, I'm not much of a partier myself, but, uh, I enjoy hanging out with the team. And if it takes going to a party to do that, then, you know, I'm all in. How, and how electric, because like I mentioned to you before the show, I'm from Canada. So our college game days aren't really that good. I, don't, I think we get 10 fans a game on our college football games. Describe <laughs> the atmosphere at an LSU Tigers football game, Death Valley. What's it like? Oh gosh, you can't even you can't even explain it, man. It is the <laughs> oh my official visit. I went to LSU Bama in Death Valley. Oh my god! Um, yeah, it was it was unbelievable. I mean, you're talking about the the stadium can hold 110,000 people, and you know, give or take, it might be between 100 and 110 and the population of Baton Rouge increased by 400,000 people on a game day. <laughs> so, so that means that 300,000 people are standing outside tailgating, just getting torched. And, and it, I mean, you can't, you can't even move and it's all over the whole campus. It is the coolest thing ever. 
Dude, you're giving me chills, man. I mean, I fuck, I miss college football. I mean, obviously, I'm I'm University of Michigan fan. I'm a Michigan guy, but I've been to Michigan, the big house stuff like that. But I heard it just doesn't even compare to the South. Like I heard LSU, like Clemson, all those other schools, it's just a freak. So, so are you a LSU fan now? Like you're just not your horns down, maybe, or what? Yeah, you know, uh, I, I tend to root for people that I know more than anything else. I want LSU to win every time they play. Uh, but I also had a lot of friends that that continued on playing there and, and I enjoyed watching them and, you know, them going to the league and stuff like that. And, um, I mean, I'm still a Texas fan. I'm, I'm anybody in Texas. I'm going to root for that team just because it's my home state. And, you know, I want, you know, Texas to be successful and A&M, TCU and all that. But, you know, when they're playing the Tigers, it's, it's go Tigers yeah. every time game over but and an also thing here humble brag for you as well i mean you get drafted out of high school 31st round by the pittsburgh pirates and told them no thank you i'm going juco i'm gonna be a bandit how hard was that decision for you to kind of say i'm going to san jack instead of i grinding in like low a or grinding in the minors for a little bit yeah so i was actually drafted out of san jack by the pirates um, oh it was yeah so it was after my sophomore year of college um was when i got drafted so i had to make the decision whether I wanted to start pro ball then or go to LSU. Oh, okay. So I credit to me, like yeah. I said, I, I've ruined so much shit on the show. I thought a guy is a funny story. I thought Jonathan Heasley's father played in the show, but it was him actually playing coach pitch with his son. So that's like, that's just another <laughs> screw up by me. But besides the fact, man, so, okay. So you go to LSU and then you get drafted out of there. Was that decision hard to like kind of leave that university and just go, go into the draft and just grind pro ball because you're living the dream at LSU. They have an unlimited budget for the baseball team. You're probably flying private. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we did charter flights and stuff, which made it a lot easier than than going through commercial. And I, I think that was just something that LSU wanted to make sure that the guys, you know, had an easier way to get to the games, less stress fee than having to worry about going through the airport and all that kind of stuff. And you know, I actually didn't really have a choice um, to go play pro ball um, or to stay. I could have, but it would have been on my own dime. They had um, go ahead and told me that I was not going to have a scholarship for the next year. Um, not sure the reason, whether it was because I didn't perform very well that year or that they had given it away when they thought that I was going to get drafted higher before I, I got hurt. Um, but I, I knew that I wasn't going to give up the opportunity to play pro ball just to go pay for a year of school. True. And so that, that decision was kind of based on, you know, my, my overall goal in life was to play professional baseball, not to be a college baseball player. And, and, you know, it progresses. And at one point, that was my goal, was to be a college baseball player. And once I attain that, okay, now the goal is professional baseball. So, Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, and then your first year, you, you're in Hillsboro, which I've heard nothing but good things about. Uh, uh, Matt Tabor's friend of the show, he loves Hillsboro. I, I think he was there for high A and low A because they changed this year. What was your time like in there? Because, I mean, you had a two five one ERA. Is that good? You tell me. I mean, just absolutely carved your first year out of university. So, I mean, what was that adjustment like for you? Yeah, um, it was different. You have this thing where you, you try to get into pro ball, and the only thing you've ever been told for majority of your time was, hey, you're going to have to throw hard to get into pro ball. you got to show them that you can flash some velocity and that there's potential to grow there. And so once I got into pro ball, it was kind of relaxing to shift the focus into, okay, if I throw 95 miles an hour and I've got a 7, or if I throw 90 miles an hour and I've got a 2, which one's more beneficial? You know, it, you're still going to repeat that level if you have a seven, no matter if you're throwing 100 or, or 95. You, you need to be, you know, getting guys out. And so 
that transition to where in college, yeah, you need to compete. But if you're, if you want to play pro ball, you actually have to throw hard too. going into pro ball. Now numbers are all that matters. If you put up a two ERA at every level you play at, you're going to play in the big leagues, throwing 87 or throwing 95. It doesn't really matter. That's a good point. That's a good point. And I honestly, uh, I hate analytic nerds. I'm not a guy that's like looking in the spin rate, all that kind of shit. If you're good on the mound, maybe you could back me up on this. If you're good on the mound, you're good on the mound, no matter what. I mean, you see guys like Mark Burley, who was later in his career, throwing like 88 from the left side, just absolutely carving. Right. So are you one of those guys that doesn't really look that much in analytics as like, as you could say, like other people? Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm definitely not as analytical as, as the majority of, of people are nowadays. And, but I do think there is some, some, you know, science behind it, knowing what your ball does and how it's presented can help you present the ball better to a hitter um, in your favor. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like to go out there and pitch with a lot of heart and a lot of passion and, and, and try to get guys out, you know, doing it the way I've done it my whole life and, and not really focus too much on, okay, is this ball spinning this way or that way? You know, if a well-located pitch at 2000 RPMs and a well-located at 3000 RPMs could get the same result. True. And then, and but this is me jumping the gun. I'm obviously moving forward here, but I had to bring it up or I'd forget. I need to go into depth about your at bat against Jacob DeGrom. I mean, that was one of the <laughs> most. I can't wait to post this from the account, from the official, official account. What was going on there? Because you're facing arguably the best pitcher to ever step on a mound. And obviously, you're not a hitter, you're a pitcher. Were you just like, please don't make pitching ninja right now? Please don't do it. Yeah. Um, no, you know, I have utter confidence in myself that I was going to go yard every time I swung <laughs> a bat. Um, realistically, you know that you're facing, you know, if he continues down the path that he's going, the greatest pitcher of all time. Um, you had to start your swing a lot earlier than normal. <laughs> um, and so, you know, typically we go in and I had to take first pitch. And so, he, he you know, he grew going at, you know, 98 or something like that. And then the next one was down and away and I was, you know, way late on it. And so you start your swing a little bit earlier and, you know, he elevated a heater that was, you know, as high as a skyscraper. And I, uh, you know, you start your swing and, and you commit to a fastball and you're going to try to hit it a country mile. And by the time I saw it, it was over my head and I just had to, you know, abort mission and, just look like an idiot. And one thing I respect about you during that about is, is you going up to the plate with just a leg guard. Like you're just like, just in case I'm out in front of Jacob DeGrom, I'm just wearing this shit just in case. Do you always wear, are you always a leg guard guy now? Yeah. I mean, I wear one. Um, it's not to, to say that I'm going to get out in front or anything like that. It's specifically that my job is to pitch and I'm not going to let a foul ball front foot keep me from being able to pitch. Um, so that I don't know what swing I'm going to have to put on the ball to create that to, to get there, but I've seen crazy <laughs> stuff happen. And I'm, not, I mean, I'm, I'm, we're obviously all looking for fastballs. It's, you know, good luck on any of us hitting off speed pitches. So you, you just don't want to take a, a foul ball off the leg. And I got to ask this to a pitcher. So when you're when you're facing when you're pitching against a pitcher on the mound, is a little bit a part of you like, listen, man, I'm not going to try to make you look like a fool. I'm just going to throw 98, 97 mile an hour fastballs here to try to paint corners because I know you don't want to be in there. Is that is that a little bit in the back of your head? It's harder to pitch to pitchers. I'm not saying it's harder <laughs> to pitch pitchers than it is to hitters. Yeah, because obviously they're better, but they can get luckier 
a lot better than hitters can a lot, a lot more often because they don't they're not thinking like a hitter you know <laughs> yeah if you groove a fastball down the middle three times they're not overthinking it they're looking for a fastball and sure. it's easier for them to put the bat on the ball than it is a, a hitter that all right i've presented him two sliders already so he's thinking okay i gotta protect against the slider but i don't want to miss the heater it there's a lot more that goes into it than than what a you know pitchers can be scarier up there than somebody else you have a legitimate game plan against that makes sense that actually makes sense especially a guy like jacob Degrom, who just actually rakes like his stat i think actually to this day or at at this point of the year he has more rbis than runs he's given up which is just an absurd stat i I don't know if that's true i could be wrong on that but that's just an absurd stat but let's go back in there that he had more hits that he has more hits than he has given up runs oh Okay, that makes more sense because I, that'd be just – well, his ERA is point, point something, so it's just a crazy – I mean, he's nasty. But let's go back in the minors for a second. I mean, this we like to get some funny minor league stories on the show and all that kind of stuff like cops climbing – cops arresting guys, drunk fans climbing foul poles. Fan, we've had stories of actually a fan that in the middle of a game climbed a light pole with a machete in their hand for, for, in the middle of a game. So what would you say – like is your funniest minor league story during your career? Oh gosh, um, man, there's so many of them that I, I can't bring up because there's still some people playing baseball that don't that people don't need to hear about. Uh, <laughs> I I know that there was one that I thought was really cool. It may not be funny, but it was really, you know, minor leaguers get paid nothing. Like yeah. it, we are bro- we're broke. Like it is a legitimate joke how much minor leaguers get paid and i remember one of the guys um his name's tyler keel um him and his wife were you know pregnant and she was having a baby soon and you know we're our minor league paychecks at that time were 650 dollars every two weeks you know which is a freaking joke and uh one of the guys i'm not gonna say the guy's names that did this but he did not want to sit with him on the bus he had had a long game maybe not played well i can't remember he's like hey i will give you a hundred dollars if you will go sit with somebody else and y'all can split the money and well that's fifty dollars each of course well he gets back there and and he's like uh the guy's like i'll split the money with you if you'll let me sit with you and i was like well hell i'll pay you a hundred dollars if you'll stand up and not it wasn't me it was some it was somebody else and and then everybody's like, well, shoot, if you're going to stand up the whole time, I'll give you 20 and I'll give you 20. I'll give you 20. <laughs> and it, it all, it all chipped in to where we got to like, like almost $800 of oh everybody God. chipping in for this guy to stand up for a four hour bus ride at 10 PM. Jesus so, Christ. Yeah. So it, they called it the diaper stand because you know, <laughs> the guy was going to need some money for, uh, for diapers. And <laughs> He stood up the whole bus ride, four hours from San Jose to Visalia, and uh, everybody paid him. It was almost it was almost eight hundred dollars, which is more than a two week paycheck. And he he came to the field the next day. He was like, "Dude, my wife was so proud of me for doing this." And it, it was it was just a cool a cool experience to to you know minor leagues are grinders. You, yeah. you stand up for four hours on a bus to make more money than you make in a paycheck is is ridiculous. And then, uh, yeah, and you're talking about the minors, a front like uh so Nolan Kingham won pitcher of the week a couple weeks ago and I asked him I was like so what like do the minors give you? He got a $25 gift card to Buffalo Wild Wing. Like is that fucking hey, what other league does that? Like there's no other yeah. like you're professional athletes, right? So 
when you were in the monitors, were you living with a billet family or were you just splitting like an apartment with like three, four teammates? Yeah, no, I, I lived with a, a host family all the way up to double A. And then when I made it to double A, I uh, took my family's camper, my cousin's camper, and I stayed in an RV park. Um, <laughs> and another guy on the team did that as well. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. That, I yeah. mean, that that's being innovative, man. That's why you're, you're, you're one of the smartest guys. I mean, that's just a power move. So was the... And I got to ask you, when you move up level to level, are the meals getting better? Are the hotels getting better? Is it just all the same, like from like low A to double A? No, they, they, they definitely get better. I mean, I remember staying in low A, uh, Beloit. Yes. The, with, I think Beloit, Wisconsin. Yes, Beloit, Wisconsin. Yeah. Dude, the hotel we stayed at was called the, the Roadway Inn, and there was a bar there called the Road Dog Pub. <laughs> and – I remember laying in bed and the it was a motel, so you you know your door went to outside. Yeah, and there was probably I legit you I four inches of gap between the door and the door frame on the bottom. You could see four <laughs> inches of light coming under it. I mean, a freaking mouse could crawl under that, yeah. like go through it. Like it was, I slept on top of the cover, on top of the blankets, and thank God I brought my own pillow. But it was. I mean, it's terrible. You, I was scared to death to get in that bed. I was going to get bed bugs or some crap like that. I mean, it, it, it's really a joke that that's even allowed to happen. But it, it's you know the way it is. They don't people don't spend money on on minor league stuff, and uh, it's been like that for hundreds of years. Hopefully, it, it it's starting to kind of move in the better way. You know that you you expect guys to. Uh, to perform at high levels and to make it to the big leagues. But if you're sleeping in crappy places and eating bad food, you know, it's, it's hard to say that their health is going to be maintained and that their performance levels are going to increase. For sure. And then you see, I mean, it, it, the thing that really pissed me off about minor leagues are, is like you're living off of a signing bonus, which is what should be like your savings for your future. You know what I mean? So you have guys like, obviously it's a little bit different because the Diamondbacks, like you have guys that are like multi-million dollar signing bonuses. So they're like the first rounder. So they can kind of afford to do other shit. And then you have these other guys that are just like literally signed for 500 bucks and they have nothing to live off of. They have to work at golf courses in the summer. So it's just crazy to me that that's a thing. But you mentioned Beloit, Wisconsin, and that town gets absolutely roasted on this podcast. Every guest I have that says, is that the worst town you've ever been to? They say yes. So would that would that take the cake, Beloit, Wisconsin? That's the worst place I've ever played at, yeah. So wait, well, what's so? Because I, I think people, when they tell stories about it, they say the locker room is like dirt, like, gro- like on the ground, it's dirt, right? Dirt, like legitimate, <laughs> like the shower holds six inches of water. Oh my like, God. Yeah. And, and it, I mean, it is, it's, it's terrible. It was the, the, the hotel situation really takes the cake because it, yeah, if you say you're in a bad place, you're working all day and then you go back to your room and it's worse than where you're staying at. I mean, it, it's, it was a joke. I mean, it's, it's literally, it should not be legal to put professional athletes in that hotel and, that's where they're going to stay. And, and, and the hotel is provided by the team that that you yeah. go to. So like yeah. we're going to play Beloit. And they choose what hell, hotel we stay at. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, that's just yeah. the dumbest rule ever, especially if there's like a rivalry brewing or something like that. But I don't know if you heard the story, actually, a couple of days ago, a minor league team, their hotel was all booked at their away field and they had to stay in the clubhouse the whole series. Did you hear that story? No. 
That's, and then, that doesn't surprise me, though. That is crazy to me. But it, it, you, you brought up a good point, though. I mean, like, how do you expect players to perform because like, they're professional athletes when they're legit eating dog shit meals? They have, like, $6 to $8 meal tickets where they have to, like, eat $6, $8 they get. And then it's just – it's crazy to me. You can't – like, especially when you need your body to actually, like, be good in good shape, especially nowadays in the majors. It doesn't make any sense, man. It's crazy to me. But, I mean, yeah. you gr- you grind – I mean, you did your time in the minors. You gr- I think you were there for four years, right? And then um, you get the call up to the show, man. I mean, 2020, a little bit weird, obviously. No fans in the stands, but let's go into that. I mean, where were you when you found out you are in the show? Yeah, uh, so, you know, we did the alt-site thing last year where guys were kind of put off over at the, the spring training site to, to, you know, be on standby for whenever the big leagues needed them. And uh, I had been put on the roster that following fall, so – I knew that my chances were, were good and if I was pitching well and if they needed me to, to go up and, and, you know, to make my dream a reality. And I was um, – I had just come back from taxi squad. Uh, so I traveled with the team on the road. And um, I was getting ready to kind of throw off the mound. I had an outing coming up the next day, you know, prior to being on the taxi. And uh, our farm director, Jacob Josh Barfield, Jacob's his cousin. I played against a junior college, so I get to mix up. But uh, <clears throat> Barfield came out and he's like, "Hey, what are you about to do?" And I was like, "I'm, I'm gonna throw a couple off the mound." He's like, "Well, you're gonna have to hold off because you're going to the big leagues, um, like right, like right now. Um, <laughs> the game, the game starts in 40 minutes, and Merrill Kelly had um, some blood clot issues and." Uh, he couldn't. Uh, he couldn't pitch that night. He ended up going on the IL and getting thoracic outlet. And, uh, he was like, "Well, you've got to go throw all your stuff in a bag, and you got to be at the field now. Like, you could potentially be thrown as early as the third or fourth inning." Oh my um, god! Yeah, and so I loaded all my crap up and was running ninety miles an hour to get over there, and got to call my family on the way, and you know, it was. It was a lot. It, it would happen quick. And I, I, I actually was appreciative of that because I'm a stressor. I'll stress over stuff I don't need to stress about. Yeah. Thinking about, you know, being excited for the next day if I learned about it and had to go to sleep before it, you know, actually happened would have been kind of crazy. But it was um, it was a cool experience. I enjoyed it. Um, it was everything I thought it would be except for my family not being able to be there. Yeah, that's shitty. I mean, it, it, like you said, man, I mean, obviously with me, I hit like I, I hit 186 in Juco. So I, I'm overthinker for everything. But the crazy thing is, is, like you had 40 minutes to just prepare for something that you've dreamed of since you were like a kid. So, I mean, that's just yeah. crazy to me. So let's go into that debut, though. So you're you step on the mound first time ever at a big league ballpark. You're pitching like what, what was your, running through your body there? Well, uh, so the situation I got put into was. Uh, they told me I had the fourth hitter of the inning and the first three hitters went one pitch Homer, one pitch base hit, one pitch base hit. So I threw six pitches off the mound before going in for my debut and I'm typically a starter. (laughs) And so I'm usually throwing 15 (laughs) to 20 pitches in the bullpen, 10, 15 minutes before I go in. And I threw like six or eight pitches and I'm in there two men on facing, um, Trevor Story, Nolan Arenado, and Charlie Blackman. (laughs) Yeah. So I I punched out Story my first at bat. um, Had one out, two men on. I threw a pitch to Nolan Arenado, and he hit it straight into the ground, hit the plate, bounced like 40 feet in the air, 
uh, bounced so high that there was no time to make a play. So his bases loaded, one out. And Blackman at that time was hitting 480 something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was when he was buzzing. Yeah, and I threw him a heater in, and he parked it grand slam. Jesus. Um, yeah, it was it was kind of ridiculous, and I remember being so pissed. And then I was like, "Yeah, I can't be mad. I, my dream just came true, whether it sucked or not." You know. Uh, and then I went on kind of a tear after that. And yeah, really you well did for the rest of the year. Because I was going to mention that because the rest of that year, and you posted a one four seven ERA. Some are calling you the Arizona Jacob Degrom, but the one four seven ERA the rest of the year. So how dialed in were you? Were you just like, were you just like not really thinking that you were in the show? What was going on there? Because those stats for a rookie and is bananas to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, you know, it was a small sample size and I was, I was just trying to compete and um, prove that I deserved to be there. And, and, you know, it, I, I'm glad I did. I haven't had a, just a great year this year and uh, you know, they know what I'm capable of and I know what I'm capable of. And it's just, back to finding that groove in time and, and, you know, being in a steady role and figuring that out. And, you know, it was cool. I enjoyed it. I, I'm, I'm a comp computer. I, I enjoy competing on the mound and I give it everything I got every time I go out there and I pitch with a lot of heart and a lot of passion. And, and I think that, uh, that, you know, drives me to, to when I'm throwing well to, to continue on the train. And how about that first big league dub, huh? Against the fucking World Series champs, humble brag, whatever. One, <laughs> I mean, dude, that appearance because I think I remember that you went three and one third. You give up two hits, and you, I think you, yeah, right here, you punched out four, or you punched, yeah, you punched out four. So how, like, when you get that first big league dub, was your like, what was running through your head? It's against the Dodgers, and you just carved that lineup. It's crazy, man. Man, I was trying to survive. I think I walked five people that game. Yeah. I literally could not throw the ball where I wanted to. And it was sheer will at, at certain times. We're like, okay, now it's a 3-2 count. I got two men on, and I freaking screwed the last three pitches away. I have to make this pitch. And, and there were certain times where it, it just – I think I was just effectively wild, and, and, you know, my heart pushed me to make the pitches when I absolutely had to make them. And you, you try to have this level of – of comfortability out there and, and sometimes it can get the best of you because you feel comfortable and you don't execute your pitches as well. And, um, you know, that I pushed through that outing on, on pure heart and desire to want to win. And, and it was a close ball get. And I, I mean, you know, I, I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. And, and looking back now, it's, it's so cool to have that as my first win against the, the team that went on to win the world series. Is, do you still have that ball? From the first dub or oh, yeah. yeah, 100%, man. That's electric. And then it all comes full circle. Credit to me for just picturing this right here. You get your second win, your second big league win against the Texas Rangers. I mean, how crazy was that shit, man? Well, I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, no, it was, it was cool. You know, I, I enjoy throwing out of the bullpen, but I like to be a starter and I was trying to make a campaign for myself those two games and so every time I went into a game in the you know fourth fifth inning I was like all right I'm finishing this thing this is my game and that was one of the games where our starter Caleb Smith he his first inning he you know had a little bit of trouble finding the strike zone and he came out and shoved for the rest of the game didn't give him a run but it it, it was one of those things where sometimes you run into it as a starter you, it takes you a minute to find your groove and you throw too many pitches to where you can't go as deep in the game and and so to, to be able to come in in a situation where the team needed me to cover a lot of innings and, you know, kind of save the bullpen a little bit, I was I was very happy to do that and very pleased to, to do it against the Rangers.
I mean, what an appearance there. Five innings, five hits, zero runs. Is that good? I mean, just absolutely incredible there. And then, but but do you think that call-up was led to that year you had in double-A the year before? I mean, you posted a 2-9 ERA, just absolutely carving. Was that kind of the step that brought you up to just being like, listen, this guy's on the brink of making the show now? Yeah. Um, you know, I was throwing really well. Um, I was really shoving when I was in double A and, and I think that just put us on the, put me on the map because I, I was never a money guy I didn't sign for a lot of money I was never a high draft pick or prospect but I came out that year with an agenda to to make sure that when the rule five draft came around they had no no um other choice but to put me on the roster that I was trying to make yeah. myself too valuable to let go and, and it, that's always been my goal you know in the minor leagues was to to throw a lot of innings and, you know, I want to be a starter in the big league. That's what I want to be. And I, you know, the organization knows that my coaches know that. I think they know that I can be and just whenever the time comes right. But I wanted to to make sure in those minor league seasons that they knew that I could throw 160 innings every year. And I, I did it for a few years in a row. And, and uh, so that, you know, that was my goal was to, to come out and shove and, and be dominant and compete and, and throw a lot of innings to prove to them that I was worth keeping around. What's that? What's that pre-start routine going for you? You having an energy drink? Like you having? So you listen to some tunes like George Strait? What's bumping on in the headphones b- before a start for you? Yeah, um, I, I'm pretty superstitious. I got a lot of stuff that I do, and I won't I won't go into details of that. Uh, but you know, I do listen to music. It used to be rap music and stuff like that. It's kind of moved moved more into country as I'm, I'm kind of growing in my faith and don't want to listen to some of the garbage that's being put out there. Um, yeah. And so, I, you know, I, I do my thing every day and, and, and get ready for that start, make sure that my headspace is good and uh, just get ready to go out there and compete. And I got to ask you because your team made history this year with Madison Bumgarner throwing the no-hitter. And in your mind, is that a no-hitter, the, all the seven innings? Like, what was the, what was the locker room like when he, when, he, when he did that? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, that's a, a weird one because you, you, you see – you know, nine innings is nine innings, but he didn't have a choice to go nine innings. Exactly. You know, there was no – I'm going to go ahead and say that if they say, do you want to finish the game at seven innings or you want to continue on a nine, he's going to say continue on a nine. And from what our catcher said, I mean, that, that he wasn't going to get hit through 100 innings. He was shoving. <laughs> and, and so that – I don't know. It's – I think it's a no-hitter. You gave him seven innings to pitch, and he pitched seven innings and didn't give him a pit. True. Um, but you also have to look into the other guys that have probably had seven innings, no hits. That's, you know, you give it to Peralta the other day for um, Milwaukee. If yeah. it's a seven-inning game, he no hits us. Exactly. And so th- th- there's different sides of both – you know, there's different ways to look at it from both sides. And, you know, it, it was fun to watch. To me, I'm going to tell my kids that I saw Madison Bumgarner throw – a no hitter. And when the question arises, then I'll explain to him why it was seven innings and stuff like that. But I mean, that's just, that's just the way it is. I mean, he threw a no hitter in the game that he was given. Exactly. And I would just, and just thinking about my standpoint, I would be amazed. I would be starstruck listening to a conversation between both of you in the locker room, because both of your accents are the most electric things. I, I want a Texas accent. I will take that to the grave. That's the most electric accent in the U.S. of A. And you and Madison Bumgarner, I mean, talk about two voices. I heard his post-game interview after his no-hitter. It legit sounded like it was Morgan Wallen talking or something like that. His voice was absolutely <laughs> incredible. But a couple more things here. We talk about the Arizona Diamondbacks. 
Who's the jester in the locker room? Who's the funny guy? Who's the guy keeping the boys loose? Um, man, there's a lot of guys that are really witty on the team. Uh, when it comes down to time to get the boys stirring, though, it's definitely Steven Vote. He does some pretty good skits where he impersonates different people and does some referee stuff. And, it, you know, he's he's one of the biggest leaders on our team. Um, obviously, there's a couple other guys that are out there with him, but he he's – He's a mentor to everybody. You know, he teaches you the right way, teaches you how to handle, take care of the clubbies, how much tip, all that kind of stuff. And just to, to do the right thing and to, to you know, that, that's who I go to for advice on certain things. And, you know, he's, a, he's like a father figure to everybody because we have a pretty young team. And, um, you know, it you have to have those veteran guys that have been through it with many different teams and, and through different situations. And know how the game's been played for the last hundred years and, and, and been a part of that, you know, gradual um, change of generations. And, and, you know, that's who you learn from and, and hopefully moving forward, you know, everybody kind of learns from, from them and, and, you know, passes it on through the and game. Speaking about young talent, friend of the show, I'm just, by the way, I'm probably going to get roasted by people just bringing up friends of the show, but we have a lot of mutual friends. The next guy I want to bring up is Grayson Rodriguez. You want to talk about young talent, guys that are absolute freaks. I think he's the number one pitching prospect in baseball now, if I have that correct. I think he is. Or in the Orioles system. It might be the Orioles system. Yeah, it's the Orioles system. But let's talk about that guy, man. I mean, holy shit. I mean, he, he I think he's in double A now. Where? How did you guys meet? How did you guys cross paths? Um, so Grayson is closer to my brother's age. My brother's 20. I think Grayson's 21. Um, they played against each other in high school ball. So I saw him pitch a few times, you know, in high school. And then we trained at a facility called APEC. Yeah. um, In the off season. And we carpool. It's an hour and 20 minutes one way for both of us. So we, we hop in the truck together each, each day and we, we go up there and compete against each other. And, Man, Grayson's a good kid. He's he's got a lot of talent. I mean, he's got an electric arm, and uh, you know, I, I can see him being in the big leagues very soon, as early as you know, whenever they need him. <laughs> yeah, for sure, so. man, for sure. And then the, this, yeah, the second last thing I wanted to bring up here is, I mean, let's go into uh, this year for you, man. I mean, wh- where's the confidence at? Because I mean, you've had, you've had a couple good outings, you've been buzzing and stuff like that, but it's a roller coaster of a season. And, and like like you said, man, I mean being out of the it's just weird so very weird season and stuff like that but are you looking to be like a full-time starter role and have you kind of vocalized that to the Arizona Diamondbacks and all that yeah you know you have to be respectful in the conversations you have because you can only control what you can control yeah um I'm a pitcher for the Diamondbacks and I'm gonna do whatever they need me to do uh, uh I think that that I have the tools to be a starter and you know whether that is at some point in my career uh, a high-end starter or back of the rotation starter at it's all the same to me I want to compete and and um, give my chance my team a chance to win and I think that once I get an opportunity to get settled in and and um, you know throw a lot of innings and throw a lot of pitches I, I think that I can perform at, at high level being a starter and I think that I have enough pitches in my repertoire to keep the guys on you know on the on the edge of their seats for three times through the lineup and uh go out there to compete every day to throw seven, eight innings and get a win. Who's the best hitter you faced so far in your big league career? Like one guy where it's like, man, this guy hits everything. Like I can't put it, I can't paint anything because this guy's going to make contact with it. I'm going to say Mookie probably. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got a um, dub against him last year. So that's, that's just, that'll play. Yeah. But I had a couple really long hard bats against him that I, I think that 
his eyes really good, and and at any point in time, you know that he can do damage on it. There's there's a difference in a power hitter and a contact hitter that has power, and and you know it. A lot of power hitters are looking to do damage right away, and and uh, contact guys are are looking to take whatever pitch you give them and hit hit it wherever it is with their best ability. And and he has a legitimate opportunity at at hitting something out of the park every swing or you know, smoking one down the line if you throw it down and away or, or, or whatever it may, may be. Um, I think him and then Juan Soto has a really good yes. eye play. He doesn't really swing at anything in the dirt. So you have to present a good pitch that's in a good location. You can't miss middle and you, you can't walk him. I mean, he's not he's not going to swing at something that's out of the zone. So For sure. And, yeah, I mean, that's – yeah. And I want to – like the Diamondbacks jerseys, like I'm wearing one right now, humble brag, Alex Young sent it, but – is this not the best jersey in baseball? I think this jersey is absolutely incredible. All the all the Diamondback jerseys are absolutely fire. Which one's your favorite? I like the white one as well, actually. Yeah, I like the teal. The teal. I like I like all white. The teal stuff's pretty icy. I, I mean, I like the black too. Um, I kind of got whooped around in the black last time I threw in it, <laughs> but you know, whatever. I respect that. I mean, when are you when are you on the mountain next? Like, when are you expected to go to go again? You don't know. I'm in the bullpen, so whenever. Okay. Well, hopefully, hopefully by Thursday, you're back on the bump. But anyways, man, you're an electric dude. I enjoyed this a lot. You're it just, it was a great interview. You're hilarious. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what you do on the bump, man. And uh, I really appreciate you hopping on, man. So there you have it, folks. Right-handed pitcher for the Arizona Diamondbacks, Riley Wade, electric human being with a great accent. Hey, I appreciate it, Johnny. It's been a blast. And uh, thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening to Officially Unofficial. Make sure you guys subscribe and leave a review on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Pod and on Instagram at Officially Unofficial Pod. Thank you. <laughs>